0: But see, this one you can hear, right?
1: The expert is the man who stays for Writing destroyed word linkages. The simultaneous butter uh, relation uh, between many letters of were had to be sacrificed uh, it says that to the all-handling of the stronger plane one letter. Uh, the word became static symbol, applicable uh, to and separate uh, from that about which is simple. Do about it now belonged to the objective world. It could be seen. It was a thing. Now came the distinction between being and meaning. Uh, Marshall himself uh, says that all he's doing is describing. Uh, John? John who? doesn't uh, very many value judgments or suggestions about what people should do about things. For instance, Marshall himself uh, says that all he's doing is describing. Uh, Every new technology creates a new environment in which men live and work. Technology of the alphabet and of movable type. Printing, 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 printing.
2: Hello? I can hear myself. Hello.
3: Okay. You know. What? Hey, um, we're on. Okay. Um, I need somewhere to uh, to, uh, to Hello. Can oh. you? Uh, can you hear me from uh yeah, from on, this microphone? One sec.
1: Step by step. Printing completely changed everything. It changed what men thought of themselves, how they behaved toward each other. It changed
3: Hello? Okay, I can hear myself. Hello? Hello? Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Fantastic. Hear it. Okay, so you are I hear myself, yeah. Word, okay. word, word.
5: The Common Thread Collective is every Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. with legendary octogenarian hate ashbury activist Diamond Dave. With help from his friends, Dave talks news, wisdom, progressive activism, and spirituality. There's also open mic time for music, poetry, and stories. Comics gotta hold off till happy hour, though. Oh, and check out Flat Black Plastic with Scott Walker. Saturdays from noon to 2. The title says it all. Classic vinyl albums with no apologies. Great stuff! You can listen in live to these fine programs on MutinyRadio.fm or download the podcast at your convenience on Apple iTunes. What a deal! Authentic, real San Francisco love. That's what keeps our ship afloat. Billy
6: Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be...
4: For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to Tim... Be. Six o'clock. To you Can't me. hear no, Try talking something else. Hi. I can't, hey, can't right hear hey. myself. I heard We have an amazing. We're, were pulling night back of the off. veil here at Mutiny Radio. Hello? I, I don't know which one is because I don't have headphones on right now so I can't tell. Hey, but um, I, that here. Uh, here. I know this is one. Why don't you just go on one over here because we know that one exists. We had, we had it all worked before. Hello? There you are. You can look at your levels. Look at your levels. Oh, Go. Hi. Hi, right. honey. Okay. Hi. <laughs>
3: Hey, um, looks Hi like we're everyone.
2: Back. Hi everyone. This is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist, with Everyday Conversations <laughs> on Race for everyday people. Where we bring people together from different cultures and different backgrounds to have comfortable conversations about race and show people that it can be done. If you like what you hear today, please go to www.raceconvo.com and listen to more podcasts. If you really like what you heard today and you want to help us keep going, please consider making a small donation, no matter how small or no matter how large. If you've ever wanted to have a conversation about race, but were afraid to do so, or afraid of saying the wrong thing, or afraid of not being heard or trivialized, then this podcast is for, y- for you. I'm really happy today to have a friend of mine, um, my friend Lauren, who is going to be my Uh, my guest today and we have just come i've just come back from a long vacation down in southern california with my son so just getting it together again got back late last night it took me like 12 hours to get back so laran would you introduce yourself hey how you guys doing
3: my name is laran barton i am a writer living in san francisco california um, from Kansas City, Missouri, you know, Southside, um, and I'm just really excited to be on this podcast today. It's my second time go around with Sima, so you know, second time around, <laughs> you know, so we're gonna make it better than the first time. Um, I write about race, mass incarceration, politics, gender, as well as dating on occasion. Um, I published two books. My first book is Straight Dope: A 360 Degree Look into American Drug Culture. My second book is All We Really Need to Love stories of dating, relationships, heartbreak and marriage. Uh, I've been published in Salon, The Good Men Project, uh, SF Bayview, um, BuzzFeed, uh, Ravishly, uh, East Bay Express. Um, I've been featured on Al Jazeera's the Stream, uh recently done a TEDx, and I am and one of my last goals this year is to figure out how to do a handstand, which I'm probably not going to be able to uh, be able to knock out by by the end of the year. But you know, it's it's all good. I'm I'm super happy to be back. Shout out to everybody in the Meetney Radio, the super duper lovely Pam, and I'm just ready to rock and roll, Sima. Let's get it. So
2: you could you could see or hear. Why, I have Leron on my show again. Yes. Leron, would you tell people a little bit about yourself in terms of demographics? For instance, like, I'm a white Jewish woman who is a baby boomer.
3: Right. Well, um, so I am a uh, six-foot... Two like one hundred and ninety eight two oh five black male uh, <laughs> uh, man like um gosh uh, demographics I'm um heterosexual uh, I um I'm a humongous uh, Derrick Rose fan uh, I still love the Niners even though I don't watch football these days and uh, the best portable food in the world is a hamburger that's uh what uh and what else would you like to know so Luron
2: since we talked I don't know, about a month or so ago.
3: Yes, yes, ma'am.
2: Do you still think it's important to talk about race?
3: Um so I, I think race is the most incendiary topic in just in life and in, in culture. And I and I feel like that um I feel like that we should talk about race. I, I, I think there should be sort of uh I guess boundaries and sort of different reasons. I, I mean, I from For me personally, um, I don't have a lot of conversations about race with, with white people because I just feel like that, um, that as, that at some point, you know, we need to kind of move, we need to kind of move on from that and kind of do something else. You know, I, I, I love the fact that I'm seeing like white people having conversations with race among other white people and just, you know, kind of getting them straight and, and, you know, kind of getting them together. But as far as just like the, like the, the teaching, like, you know, white folks, or, or, yo, how can I be a better ally? Like, I just, I just feel like that, that, that time has come. It's, it's, it's over, you know, we need to move on. I mean, like, there's just too much data. There's too much information, uh, writing books, uh, songs, uh, just, you know, protest. I mean, there's, there's too much stuff for people to play dumb. You know, my grandfather once said, there's no excuse for ignorance. So,
2: yeah. So, well, we talk about having conversations about race. Yes, ma'am. What are we talking about anyway?
3: Um, well, you know that's a that, that's a very interesting question. Um, you know, you and you know, you and I, you know, we're two colleagues here. So, you know, we talk about race from the perspective of what's been going on. Uh, you know, policy, uh, the news. Uh, you know, even even a bit of a personal, but it's not coming from. This angle of well, you know, I'm the magic Negro. I have to teach you. Like it's 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 not that. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. No, I do know what you mean. I mean, but oftentimes, I mean, like I see people now. I mean, I see people primarily white people, but but other people too. Again, like I always say, this is not to generalize or stereotype any particular group. But there's some things that are cultural norms, and I'll see more white people really being afraid to talk about race. And then what ends up happening is they don't talk about it. And what they end up doing is they pretend that people of color don't even exist because I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I say nothing and I just ignore people.
3: Yeah. You know, honestly, I don't understand that, that part of the game. I mean, it's like... Uh, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, um, I think there is a fear of being, uh, of being offensive. I mean, I, th- I think that, uh, people, the worst thing that people can be called is racist. And I think the worst thing that a man can be called is, 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 is a rapist. Right. So, you know, unfortunately these conversations don't happen, but I think that, you know, men are, you know, comfortable with, you know, with, you know, raping just like, I, I think mm-hmm. white people are comfortable with, um, with uh, uh with practicing racism white supremacy. So I it's it's one of those it's it's one of those things where it's like uh, the it never gets brought up because you know uh when when we talk about race, the whole conversation is framed around, okay, well, you know, we don't want to be too angry. You know, like, you know, we don't wanna tell too much truth. So, you know, we water it down. And um I I heard a quote recently from a uh, political commentator, Yvette Carnell, you know, shout out to her. She's a really amazing person. She said, when we get watered down ideas, we get watered down solutions. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, um, you know, if we're not telling the truth, then, and if we're not speaking honestly and, you know, I don't think that we're ever going to, we're really going to be able to get to a point where we just have a, uh, where we're able to really tackle this, the system itself. And, you know, if, if we're just too busy, worried about people's feelings, you know,
2: you know, and you said something, Couple you said about anger, right after Obama was first elected, I actually was contacted by CNN and they asked me what I thought about Obama should Obama be more emotional would he be seen as angry and we had to talk about that and I said yeah if he show, if he was angry or if he got if they, he was upset people would start going oh he's he's really angry he's an angry black man on the other hand if he didn't express any emotion they'd say oh he's just cold
3: right um. So man, I'm not just not a fan of Obama. I think he's the biggest coward I've ever seen in my life. But okay, you know. I
2: disagree. But go ahead.
3: <laughs> but I mean, like you know, look, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm know. not
2: saying I think he's the bravest man in the world either. But but I just, just I have to say I don't always agree with everything that my colleagues right. say. But that's cool. Go
3: it's ahead. All, um, it's all gravy. It's um, um. It's all good. Uh. No. I'm. I'm. Uh, I. I mean. You know, in retrospect, Simon. Like it was. It's been like it's been like two years since. Uh, I mean, I have have to. I mean, I've been able to sort of look at him differently. I'm. I'm. I mean, I still hold. I still hold the same views. I, I don't have a lot of respect for him. But at the same time, um, there's a great Chris Rock joke where he says, "When you're the black man with the job, like you know, you have to do certain things." And so, um, he was he he wanted to position himself as a unifier and you know what hey you know i dig that you know what i mean it is what it is but i think one of his major uh one of his major failings is, is like he did not he 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 didn't give up on on that right and at some point you know you have to sort of you know give up uh give up on that i mean uh you know, like my father knows him and, and we were talking about him a couple, a uh, couple months ago. I said, you know, I don't want to like I I don't want to meet him. I don't even if you know, and if I did meet him, I don't, I don't even know if I would even shake his hand, you know, and he said the problem with Obama is that he 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 didn't want to piss piss anybody off. And, you know, to make an omelet, you know, you got to break some eggs. So, you know, whether he you know, if he shows it too much emotional, he's I'm sorry. Too much emotion. He's gonna be too angry. If he doesn't, there, there's gonna be another problem. So it's like you, you know, you can't win. So if you look at it from that perspective, Simon, uh, and be like, you know what? There, there's really nothing that that I that I that I can do. I'm, I'm just gonna move the way that I want to move. You, you know, and that's one of the things that that's one of the two things that I really respect about Trump is that Trump is like, look, huh? Trump is like, look, I'm not the S Trump is what,
2: what, what, what you say. You respect about Trump or you just think that he's what he's doing is right for what he's doing.
3: Um, so I think he's a horrible man. But yeah. two things that I respect about him is uh, is that he's going to do what he wants to do. And he's very transparent. You know, Trump, he's not a politician. Right. So, you know, the the Democrats, whoever, you know, they're still trying to figure out, oh, my God, how did Trump win when when 2016 and, and, and in my, and in my, my opinion, it's not that he was a racist, not this. I mean, that had, that had a lot to do with it, but just that he's not a politician. So when you have politicians, they're gonna double talk. and, and, And if you notice, they never really answer a, a question directly, right? It's always like, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm trying to move around the question. I'm I'm trying to do the I'm trying to do this, that, and a third. But it's like with um with Donald Trump, he's just straight to the point, point. and people people well, can't. What do you mean by straight to the point? Well, so what so what I mean is, uh it is, is is like if you would have asked some asked somebody say a more seasoned politician, somebody like a Bernie Sanders, a you know I I think Hillary Clinton was a master at this. She would never give you a direct yes or yes or, or, or no answer right She kind of like be well, you know, we have to consider this and with this and blah, blah blah and it's like with Trump, Trump is like, no, we're gonna do this. yes, we're gonna do this. And for a lot of people who don't like poli- who don't like politicians because a lot of them compromise with Trump, He's not really compromising. So Oh
2: no, he's not compromising. He's not compromising at
3: all. Right. So I mean, with that being said, so like you have to look at the way he's moving and he's like and and he's doing exactly what his base wants him to do. That's probably the first time I've ever seen a politician do exactly what they what, what they want. Uh their elected official to do. And and I mean, he's just beyond terrible, but at least he is He's look, his folks, you know the the Republican base. Oh, yeah, his people.
2: You, his people are extremely loyal to him,
3: and and they're excited because he's because he's living up to them to them, to them promises, man. And, I'm like, so that's why, like with you, know, like yeah,
2: like the Grand Wizard.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, what I'm mean? sorry, we gotta I go said there you know. early. Damn, Simon, like um, it's it's not even ten thirty. What's going on? We already uh, we already talking about like the Grand the Grand Wizard here. <laughs>
2: Well, I you know I I have my disagreements with Obama. There's nobody that I the only person who I think would be a really great president would be me.
3: Oh oh my god, totally. But on, like, I'm
2: not. Nobody's voting for me, and I haven't you know started Listen, getting like, elected if, yet.
3: If you wanted to, if you wanted to start a campaign, I uh, I campaign with you for for real. Like you come on, like a uh, super super smart chic woman who just has lots of ideas and who does yoga come on like you know you 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 can't get any any more forward than uh, than than that right
2: well i'm older than you so i could start <laughs> out by i could be the president and then you could be the vice president and you could take oh, over since
3: you've got a lot more years you know what uh, uh, no uh no thank you i'm, I'm good uh,
2: i want but i want to go back to the whole emotional right about being angry, something that I was thinking about, you know, because I, I I think a lot about cross race conversations about race, cross orientation conversations about sexual orientation, and you know, I'm a big I'm a big believer. At the same time, because I think people need to know each other, absolutely. And the time has to be right, and the conversation has to be right, and then I have to look at well, what are we going to do now? Because right. just Talking is like blah 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 blah. Aren't we sweet and fun? No, but we need to be able to get into solutions. But I think we have to build a foundation. But something I was thinking about, um, and has to do with seeing people. You know how, like a lot of times, um, you'll have like white people who will. Interpret, try to interpret for a person of color, like a person of color will be angry and the white person will kind of go, oh, well, you have to understand what they've been through, blah, blah, right. blah, blah. Or I'll see that like with a straight person, like a gay person will be upset and they have to say, no, you have to understand. And then they try to go, oh, calm down. Or I'm a good white person, so calm down, angry black person. But, but I was thinking about roles and about roles that people play. And this is what got me thinking about this. And it started, I mean, it might be something I I already thought about, but I thought about it in a different level. I was on a conference call, I don't know, about recently, and I was the only LGBT person on the call. And somebody on the call said something that was homophobic
3: oh what did they say
2: what they said was they were talking about religion and talking about how you know their religion was right and people need to understand why they have strong thoughts about homosexuality and while they would allow somebody who was homosexual using that word into their church they probably wouldn't allow them to speak.
3: Wow. Just, and they equated it. So, so you can be a visitor, just not a participant.
2: Right. And they and they equated it with alcoholism and sex before marriage. Okay. So are, are you I got upset. Now, what happened was the other people on the call, and it was about diversity. And we were talking, and it was about diversity. And these people are like diversity champions. They're really cool people. But you know, everybody sometimes misses a mark. So, and since that wasn't the topic that we were actually talking about, the topic was not about LGBT, but that was just kind of, she threw that in. And I said it was a bigoted statement. And she got upset. She got upset. So then afterwards, the straight people were mad at me. Wow, that, for real? Yeah, that I shouldn't have called her a bigot and blah, 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 blah. And I said, look, I did not call her a bigot. I said it was a bigoted statement. Right. And afterwards, I was feeling bad. Oh, you know, I started feeling like, you know, I'm the bad lesbian. I'm the bad, you know, I, I'm I'm the juvenile delinquent. No, brings back all that other stuff when I was like a juvenile delinquent type. And then I, I called some people. And they said, no. So I wrote a note. And I explained, I said, but I said I was disappointed in the fact that the straight people didn't say anything even afterwards. And so what I realized afterwards was that what I would have liked for the straight person to do, because, you know, like white people will oftentimes... You know, when we talk about race, we'll listen to other white people before oh, they're gonna listen to a person of color. And straight oh, yeah, people will listen to straight people, which is why like when gay marriage got passed, it was because straight people got involved, which was great. But straight people will listen to straight people first. Right. And so then I realized, yes, the role of the straight person should have been to explain to that woman that why what she said was bigoted, but not to make an apology for me. Because, Absolutely. So, and then I was thinking the same thing about race, that, okay, so, because I have a right to my, of course I'm going to get emotional, I'm going to get upset, so if I'm with you, and um, we're around some white people, and and they say something racist, and you get upset, it's not my role to say, oh, Lauren, come on now. You know, or to apologize, but as a white person, I need to be upset and and talk to these white people because they're going to listen to me more than they're going to listen to a black person. Right. But if I say nothing, or because I, th- I think that what happens a lot is that people who are not the target will then try to smooth things over but the thing is not smooth things over you want to educate you want to bring people to a different level and smoothing things over and and then what they end up doing is they blame the person they blame the black person or they blame the gay person when hey we didn't say those things
3: right man see that that really blows and you know for for one like that's not a that's not an ally i'm i'm i mean so let's just so, you know, so let's just kind of break this down. So the woman that that was saying the bigoted stuff, you know, you know, she not only said bigoted things, she's a bigot. I mean, that's I'm, I mean, come on, like, look, we got to call you know, we got to call it like uh, like we see it for one. So I mean, yeah, you know, she was uh, she was horrible doing that. Two, um, I think that the people that got mad at you, like. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm really, like, uh, offended by. I'm, I mean, it's like, yo, like, you know, you call yourself an ally. You know, you, you know, you, you know, you say that you stand up. But a lot of times, and this is what I call, like, crunch time, right? So, like, when, it's like when crunch time come, comes up, people fold. And, you know, some people are just not okay with con- with confrontation. From For me, I have a weird relationship with confrontation. Like, when I'm with my... Partner, I I'm like you know, let's, like whatever you want. I just want this just to be over. <laughs> like, but you know when it comes to like public, I'm like okay, what's up? Let's uh let us bring it on. Let's do it. Um, I think that them getting mad at you, like I just I don't under you know it's one of those it's it's one of those things. Some it's like one of the things like I've been following lately has been the uh, women's march uh, issue that you know believe her name is Tamika Mallory and Linda Sansor they've been uh they've been sort of having problems with uh with you know Jewish women that have been coming out and that and that have been saying oh you know um why don't you distance yourself from uh from Farrakhan and a lot of women they have been like why are you bringing race into this this is about women but what they fail to see is like race overrides everything so before to and this is just my opinion before Tamika Mallory is a woman she's black before Leonard Sansor is a woman even before she's uh, even before she's a Muslim she's a uh, she's a Palestinian person so you, so the fact that they got mad at you for for bringing up something that I, I mean, mind you, she said the she said the foul shit like yo know, like and you were just responding. I'm surprised you just didn't give them a dial tone. Like, I'm no, surprised no, no, you, like, no. you, I mean, you just I, didn't no, just no, hang no, up. Because,
2: no, but afterwards. OK, but let me just say this, that afterwards uh, somebody else actually talked to the straight people. Right. And they got it. Okay. And they got it. And I, you know, because what their thing was, oh, that's not what we were talking about. We should stick to this subject. Um, So, you know, they were in a linear thing, whatever it was. But other people, but other people did talk to them. But my point was not, not even so much to go off on that tip, but to look at for anybody, like if somebody's making a comment about somebody's making a comment that is racist, that is homophobic, whatever. And you're not of that group right it's not your responsibility and it's really messed up if you try to apologize yeah no. for the person that got upset no you need to stand with that person absolutely and you don't have to voice you have to and if you want to educate people you want to talk to people in a way that they hear it because we want to convert people but at the same time, I have seen too many times when people will try to apologize, who, who say that they're allies and what they end up doing because they feel uncomfortable. They right. don't want the other person. They don't want like that other white person or the straight person to be mad at them. But if you really stand oh, for something, oh well. you have to take a stand.
3: Absolutely. You know,
2: I mean, and I think that there's different ways of talking to people, too
3: yeah no like um I, so the way that i feel like it is like if, But
2: don't apologize
3: no like uh no like for one like you know i don't you know look i don't want your apologies a b <clears throat> i think that it's cool for you to stand up but if i'm there i i can handle myself i mean some so the thing is is like you know say you know if i'm the only black person in a room and you know, it's just a gang of white folks and someone says something you know well, that could be perceived as being racist. Some black people just will not uh, will not say anything because they don't want to make white people yeah, feel, and, or they're the only one, they're exactly they're the only one. So it's like they're like it takes time to get there to the point where you stand up and say, "Listen, I'm not okay with that." Like so, that's cool if. If a white person has my back, but if I'm there specifically, if LaRon Barton is there, I'm going to jump up, you know, I'm going to jump off the porch and I'm going to say something. Now, if there are no. Now, see, here's the see. Here's the kicker. If you're a real ally and there's no one in the room, I'm sorry, if there's no black people in the room, if you say something racist, I'm sorry, someone says something racist. It is up to you to uh, to check that person immediately. No, if, ands or buts do not uh, you just say. And it's ways that you can. It's ways that you can do it. You know, like my really good friend David Chastain, He believes in in a gentle shame, <laughs> which you know. I, I mean, shaming. Like you know, you either uh, you either you either love it or hate it. But it's up to you to you know um, to say something. I, I, I mean, this is. I mean, this is what you need to do. You need to say something.
2: Yeah. No. I, I agree. I agree. And and. The other thing I thought of is times when I have spoken up and maybe there's only been one person of color in the room and somebody said something, but maybe that person of color isn't going to say something. Maybe they don't feel comfortable. They're the only one, whatever. But, and if, and if that happens and you're going to be the one who's going to speak up, then what you don't want to do. Is then turn around to that person of color and say, "Hey, what do you think about it?"
3: Yeah, no, listen, like you know, you already know what they think about it. You know, you know what I mean. We're not, uh, we're not dumb people here, so there doesn't need to be any apologizing. You also don't, you also don't want to white splain. Like you know, we can, you know, we can speak for ourselves, but. Again, sometimes we don't feel comfortable. I mean, it's a yeah. it's it's a really fine line, you, you know. But uh, yeah, you know, th- it, that's that's one of those really tricky situations, Simma, You know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I was in a situation where somebody said something anti-Semitic, and I was going to say something, but before I said something, somebody else jumped in, and what they said was right. And then I chimed in and I said, "Yeah, and I'm Jewish, and I think blah blah blah," and I was glad. That's really glad you know that they, i said hey you know thank you because what they said they you know they came out right the way that they said it, it came out right um i'm wondering what you think about this this situation that just happened uh, and i can't remember what city it was even sure but they had there was a monument oh yeah. yeah okay see so south carolina and it was interesting because i know they they're trying to like come up with a way of solving the problem so there was a monument there was a there was a black community right and there was a white attack on the black community
7: yeah like right. something like
2: seven black people were killed right one white person was killed and there was a monument to the white person who was killed, saying something like "trying to preserve our culture." Yeah. Now, and a lot I of people, didn't, yeah, a lot of people didn't know what it was even for. So then they started investigating, and I think it was it was the mayor, uh, who was a white guy, and I think legally they weren't allowed to move the monument. Legally, he couldn't move the monument. So what he said was that then he was going to put up a monument to the seven black people who were killed.
3: Man, that so to me that's real that's real ill, right? So you are essentially preserving this monument of this terrorist attack on black folks just trying to live and prosper. Um you know, honestly, some I've never heard anything good about South Carolina. Like yo, yo, oh, yo, I'll yo, tell you I'll say something good about yo, South
2: Carolina, but go ahead.
3: Like you like straight up. Like I mean I'm a barbecue dude like from what I hear their their barbecue is sauce or whatever <laughs> is is very vinegary. Um I'm from Missouri home of the best barbecue in the entire world.
2: Of course. But, <laughs> All right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah.
3: I mean it's like, you know, I'm like I so I went to the South recently. I went to uh, Alabama, you know, to you know to do my TED And man, like um Florence, Alabama is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life, right? I mean, I didn't expect it to to be just this wonderful, and the people were, were warm, you know. Shout out to Mary Marshall. Shout out to Ruby, um, and just you know, everyone was just was just wonderful. But just South Carolina, I mean, the fact that they still have that monument up is just like, wow. I'm, I'm I mean, so we're gonna ignore the seven people, seven black folks that got killed, and 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 again, they're they're just trying to just build up their own community, you know, wasn't. You know, wasn't anything that they were doing. They were just living. And so the fact that it's protected by state law, I mean, that's just I mean, I'm I'm, you know, I should not be surprised because I mean, you know, these things are so commonplace. I mean, tearing down these statues, I, I guess that what this this official is proposing to do. I guess that's the only, that's the only way to really rectify it. I mean, you can't tear it. You can't tear it down. Right. Because let's say someone tries to bulldoze it or just, yeah. you know, some brave soul decides to deface it or just destroy it. They're probably going to erect it again. That person is probably going to face some time. Yeah. So, um, I mean, look, I, 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 again, I don't know why people live there, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's oh, just, my it, goodness. It, it's okay. just some spots. Like,
2: I, I've worked sorry. in South Carolina. But, but I think it was an interesting, because he was saying, I mean, this disagreement, but he was saying, well, if, if I have to keep up this white right. monument, then I'm making seven monuments, because we're going to do a monument for each black person that was killed.
3: I think that's dope. Like, I'm like, I'm, I mean, look, like, you know, I would prefer it it to be down, but again, like that's, I mean, that's a good, that's what we call in, in, in it, a good workaround. So I just feel like that at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's all that we can do. I mean, it's, it's a shame that, you know, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a white, was a white supremacist racist monument and, and, and it, and it's still and it's still standing so you know if you want if you want to change the um the outlook or change the perception of your state, change the perception of your city, you don't have those kind of things still erected. there. I mean some people will will say, "Well, Lorraine, we need these statues to be up to remind people of how things were i'm like yeah, you know, in a museum
2: exactly a museum for history
3: exactly put it in a museum you can you can you want to
2: erase history
3: no like you know it's not about erasing history it's just about writing it's about writing wrongs like i do think that that those kind of relics need to be in me in, in museums and places and, and, and plus like if you're pro America, right? If you're pro country, yeah. then why are you siding with traitors because that's a Confederate monument, right? So, uh, so it's like yo, like why are you like i um, uh, um, I mean, why like the Confederacy lost? Like they were they were uh, they were rebels, they were infidels, they were on the wrong side of history. So, if you're supposed to be pro America, then you are giving it up for people who lost. Like I don't run around here like you know cheering losers. Like yo, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just like well, it, well, it, well, it just wait, my, but it's, my, but, my, but my but mind. It,
2: but it's also it's also a bigger issue. Um, I think that the idea of then he's going to have seven monuments. I thought, well, that was that was pretty crazy. I mean, some people were saying, no, we need to tear it down. But for right now, and also it opens up the conversation. But I have to tell you that I have done a lot of work. With different clients in South Carolina, I've met really? some completely <laughs> some, cool some, people.
3: Some really awesome folk. All right, well, you know what? Simma, you know, I will take your word for it. If they are cool people down there, I'll.
2: Yeah, I'll, I mean that's I'll the thing. The you California elitist. <laughs>
3: oh, shit, you know. I'm from California. <laughs> oh, wow.
2: you're, you're from Missouri, but you're not really from Missouri because you, you know, have become listen. a Bay Area intellectual <sighs> oh, elitist, my, oh, wow. putting down people uh, uh, who live in Elise. the South. I you swear. Yeah, uh, uh,
3: you, uh, you know, what, Pam. Uh, if uh, if I'm Pam. taking offense to that, then I know you are taking offense to that. Come on, like just. There's nothing cool. I mean, name... All right. I want you to name for every two things that you name as dope about South Carolina, I'll name 30 that's dope about California. Come on. Give me one. And it ain't the weather.
2: Well, wait. I mean, I, I, there's been a lot of civil rights marches. there. I mean, I, had, I met some great people. I had some great food. And I did a lot of work in diversity. I mean, okay. I had companies right. call me. There's some really good... I have some really good friends down there, so. But hey, once you're in a California elitist, it's hard to you know it's hard to break out of it. It becomes you kind of get. A well, you know, bit
3: stuck I, in mean, it. I mean, look, like uh, growing up in Kansas City, Missouri, like I always wanted to come to California because I mean, I, I seen the weather, I have seen the beaches, I seen the women, and I was like, yo, this is where I have to be. And so, it's still, I mean, California and like the Bay Area is super expensive. It's sometimes a little corny, but it's still. An amazing place like I'll you know I'll die in in, in California I'm, I'm not I'm just California is magical it's, I love it
2: and I and and there's some very strong there's some very strong anti-racist movements there I mean people think that South Carolina or you know it's like just all a bunch of white people and this will I mean the, the SCL what was the Southern Christian Leadership Conference the um, I mean Morris Dees is down there. There's a lot of really
3: Morris Dees good... is a really good man. Like you're like okay. you know uh, you like Morris Dees. He's so all right. Cool. One uh, one great thing about, uh, about South Carolina, Morris Dees. All right, you know I'll I'll give you that.
2: Now is he in South Carolina?
3: <clears throat> uh, I believe. I believe so.
2: Oh okay. All right. So yeah, it's South Carolina white monuments. All right. Let's here's two other things that have happened. Three things that have happened. Maybe four things that have happened. Uh, the mall in Alabama where there was a shooting. Did you read about that?
3: Uh, no. Uh, wow, there was another shooting? What? Uh, yeah. And water's and, wet. What? <laughs> Just...
2: in, in Alabama at a mall.
3: Was this recently?
2: Yeah, over the weekend. It wasn't Damn. a mass shooting. It was one, ki- one, kid killed another, one kid shot another kid. I can't remember if he was killed. But the person that was killed... Right. The young black man that was killed, they said, we got the shooter. Turns out, no, he was not the shooter. This is a guy, he was in the army, he was not the oh, shooter. Oh, yeah. Yes,
3: ma'am. Um, I heard about that. Um, and at first yeah. they
2: tried to say, oh, but he must have been involved. No, he wasn't.
3: See, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, in America, look, I wrote a piece uh, a couple years ago. It's, I think it was called... On staying alive while black, and and I said, you know, and I he like you know, and and people thought that I was that I was joking when I uh, when I uh, w- when I said this, but I was like, you know, it's getting to the point where black people, black men specifically, should not really plan for retirement, should not really be thinking about vacation, should not think that far into the future because every time you step out of the door you know every time you know you leave your home it's a possibility you may not come back and so things like this i I'm, I'm i mean these things happen on a regular on a regular basis so you know a lot of people will say well you know lauren let's 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 grab let's grab guns but i don't think gun uh gun rights out i don't think gun control is is the problem i I think, you know, us having guns, I mean, had that. I mean, I'm, I mean, that has not solved the issue. Like I it's funny, like I uh, I saw a uh, great uh, tweet uh, that I that I'm going to actually uh, read, re, read off it. Tamir Rice held a toy gun in open carry state. Police executed him. That's Jamil right. Robertson. Or I'm sorry. Jamil Robertson stopped a mass shooter while on duty. Police executed him. Emantic Bradford was was stopping a shooter in an open carry state. Police executing him. The good guy with the gun myth is is a racist. Orlando
2: lie. Castile, <clears throat>
3: Uh who
2: told the cops he had a gun.
3: Philando Castile, Fla- um, yeah. Uh, but which which by the way he was in uh, believe he was in the north. He was in Minnesota, right? But I believe that's an open carry state. He uh, he got killed. So it's it's not about where. It's not about carrying a gun. It's just about if you're black, you. You, you just you just don't have those rights, and so you know when I heard about you know I, I haven't dug that deep in into the story, summer. But when I when I heard about it, I said, well, I mean, you know, that's just that's just what happens. I, I, I mean, you I mean, you just like you have to be ready to die. I mean, that sounds very grim, but but it is one hundred percent real.
2: Well, and another thing that happened over the weekend is that, or last week, a white guy was listening to his neighbor talk on the phone, but he said he didn't know he was on the phone. And the black guy is quoting the Jay-Z song, I've Got 99 Problems and a Bitch Ain't One. And the white guy decided that this is a domestic abuse case that this white guy must that the black guy must be abusing his spouse and calls the police. And it turned out all this guy was doing was quoting a song and this white guy overhears him and assumes, I don't know how he got from A to the Jay-Z to domestic abuse. But he called the police on him
3: okay so so the
2: police came I mean th- in this case the police said oh come on now you know
3: so the guy all right so let me get this straight he was in his house yeah right he's just he's 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 listening to the black album it's a <laughs> phenomenal album and this other guy this other fellow he's, he's he's
2: No no he wasn't listening to music he was just on the phone talking He's
3: just he's he's just so like I do this with I do this with my little brother he's my best friend in the world I do this all the time with uh, with uh, with Brent we will just go back and forth quote you know quote quote lyrics so the other guy he's he's ear hustling which is just slang yeah. for just you know like listening to like other people's conversations Burglarizing the conversation Exactly and so he calls the police I'm, I I mean look you know I uh, Again, so, so this is, this is what, this is life, this is life while black. This is, uh, again, this is what, this is what, this is what it means to, to be black. To uh, be, Because what, because what this is, Simmons, is, is actually a, d- a deeper issue. You are always policed. Like, not only are you always policed, but there is a, there, uh, there is a, a desire for control. So, you know, at this point, I, I mean, the only good that can come out of these uh, out of these e- examples is, is that this is further proof that this is a systemic issue because it's not because look these uh, when they happen and these mass numbers, it's no longer an individual choice, right? It's systemic. It's okay, you know. There is a culture of this of. Of of this happening now, some people will will deny it, say these are isolated incidents. But 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 when, when you have a hundred isolated incidents, I'm just using an arbitrary number, then that means that it's not an an isolated incident any anymore. That that means that you know it's a hundred percent real.
2: Well, it's like remember when you were a kid and they would connect the dots, right? And have and then you'd have like a a picture.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, there's a lot of dots
3: it's a lot of lot of dots.
2: I mean there's a lot of dots. And you know, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. That um oh my chair's just squeaking away.
3: It's a little squeaky. It's all good though.
2: L- let's let's talk let's talk about that. Like being a black man and being endangered. Right. So what are the times do you think do you feel like most in danger um uh, besides like every day but sure, i mean you right. know like <laughs> you know like situations gosh
3: you know that uh, uh, gosh that's 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 really it's a really in, really interesting question um what are it's like the times that i feel the most endangered uh probably driving yeah you know because i mean like you know the the gestapo aka the police <laughs> could just stop me and just you know injure me uh i would say if i am in what I would like to call a, a bro bar, right? Like if I'm one of the own, if I'm one of the few black folks in a in a bar where it's just like a lot of testosterone, a lot of drinks are are being consumed. Like uh, if it's a Saturday night in the marina, like yeah, like I may not come back home. I mean, because you know, uh, I I joke about this, but these situations happen where you know, white guys can. Uh, consume liquor they start they start to get angry and they just you know find a first black person and they just beat the crap out of them um you 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 know uh when it's funny because uh, you know again going going back to i didn't feel any danger while uh while while i was in florence but like i felt danger i didn't there was some points when i when i went to nashville And I was like, man, I mean, Nashville is is an incredible city, right? I mean, like their down their downtown summit is unreal as far as bars. Like, I've never seen anything quite. It's 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 a lot of music. It's a lot of music. It's crazier than Vegas. But again, you know, um, it's just like with alcohol comes testosterone, and and when you're in a in an environment where It's like the overwhelmingly majority is white, you know, that, you know, that can get kind of scary. I mean, I just, it's one of those things now where like, I've really had to like watch, watch myself. Right. I mean, you know, where, you know, where I had to say, okay, you know, let me, let me, let me be a bit more careful here. Like, you know, let me really pick and choose the places that I, that, that I, that I go to because when I was in Kansas city, you know, when I was a bit more naive and, you know, I would go to. You know, I would just go. I would just go anywhere. I mean, I I knew there were some places that you know, okay, maybe you know, you shouldn't frequent, but I would just go almost anywhere. And looking back on that, I'm like, man, like I I put myself into some really hairy situations. You know, um, also, um, you know, it's one of the other things that I, f- I feel danger from is like um, when I so I'm a, so I'm I'm gonna keep it all the way live here. Um, when I am having a meeting with, with a woman, particularly a white woman, I won't be in that meeting alone. There, there has to be a witness there. And, you know, this is just because of the fact of the, the history of, you know, false accusations, you know, of rape or, or of sexual assault or attack. And this is not only just for, you know, black men. I mean, I think this is just for men, Period. You you know um uh uh, uh uh one second like I think that uh people got mad at Mike Pence you know I'm sorry uh, Vice President Pence when when he said I will not have dinner with a woman alone and I, and I thought that was some of the really shit I ever heard because that's real that that's like look I don't want this to be any kind of improprietary I'm married I'm an I'm an elected official I can't have that happen so but just strictly like for me like you know we won't be in a room alone together like i'm i'm i mean you know i mean sima i know you you know we're good peoples but just i you know i try not to let that happen i'm i'm sorry man i mean it's like you 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 know i i think that i think that black men should really uh should really take it should really take heed to that and uh, and i think that men and men in general, man, like, you know, times have, you know, times, well, times have changed and we need to be more cognizant of that. You, you know, I look, I don't blame women when they're walking to their car and they got their keys in a, in her hand, like a uh, like a like a weapon. Yeah. Because I mean, you're like, who are they afraid of? I got,
2: I got my keys in between each finger. See, so I I, you know, S- Sim was ready to
3: strike. You know, you know and, what I mean. And Bro. when I was
2: going, when I was going from, I have to confess, I used to carry a lock in a sock.
3: That that's real because it's because like the danger is real. So I don't so I don't blame you know when like my mom would always say you know like when she would go to her car. She would check the back seat, right?
2: Always. And
3: I'm and and it's like I was I was like wow. Ma-
2: Always. M-
3: matter of fact, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll tell you this. Tell you this story. A former friend of mine. She's a uh, she's a college professor, and you know she's talking to her class, and and they're talking about what they're gonna do, uh, for the for the weekend, and she's telling this class like, well, you know, I think I'm gonna go rock climbing, and so one of her female students asked her, well, well, uh, well, what uh what are you gonna carry? Uh uh well what are you gonna carry to protect yourself? And the men in the class, they were like, they were dumbfounded. They were like, yo, like what do you about? What do you need to uh what do you need to protect yourself from what? And my former friend said, from uh, from you. Like, so if so that's so that's why I I I think I as a black man, like I I empathize with that because it's like, you know, when I, you know, when I go to these places, like, you know, my spidey senses are just, I mean, I'm just, yeah. I'm just at alert. Like I'm looking for the entrance. I'm uh, you know, I'm just sort of like filling out like the crowd. Like, you know, um, I went to, um, Got a chance to go to Ireland for my birthday, you know, from my 40th, you know, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm, I'm a little old. So I got a chance to go to Ireland for my 40th and it was incredible. Like I always wanted to go to Dublin because that's where uh, one of my heroes, James Joyce, is from. And so uh, Michelle and I, we took a bus to, you know, one of those tourist buses and we got off at the uh, Guinness factory. And you know the Guinness factory is 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 actually in kind of a rough neighbor, rough neighborhood. So you know, why you know, while we were, you know, uh, on this bus, you know, some kids from the project started like throwing stuff at the at the bus, so like the, the bus wouldn't the bus would bus would not stop. And so, you know, I I just like whenever I go to a city center, I'm like get me out of the tourist area. I wanna see the I wanna see yeah. the uh, the real Dublin, right? So we got a chance to go to this neighborhood called the Liberties. And you know, the Liberties, you know, it's 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 a real like, you're know, like you know, she's playing, you know, shit is real there. So we go into this bar. I, I never forget this. We go into this, we go into this bar and I'm looking at everybody, you know. checking their i'm checking their temperature you know it's just you know some real good folk you know drinking having a good you know having a good time like it's a like it's a real neighborhood bar right and so you know i i look at people's tattoos i look at i look at the demeanor on their faces and you know it was all love and you could tell that this is an area that is going through gentrification because i'm just sitting here talking talking to the bartender I'm listening to the conversation that the locals are having and all of a sudden this group of Asian people come in that just, you can tell they're not from the area. And they're like, do you have wifi? And I'm like, gentrification is everywhere. But, and so when I walk out of the area, so when I walk out of the bar, I see people jogging and people with, people with, um, with uh, baby strollers. That's how you know gentrification is just, everywhere but yeah you know it's just you just have to just be careful where you're where you're going but I would go back to the liberties in a in a heartbeat because it 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 felt it felt like home
2: well uh, you know I'm glad that I'm glad you had a good time I've never been to Ireland but I'd like to go to Ireland so if anybody's listening you want to invite me you know I'm I'm happy to call please take (laughs) Sema
3: you know listen the nicest people in the entire like just I mean just incredibly nice folk just you know beautiful redheaded women just like you know I mean it's just
2: what I want to ask about though is did you ever read the book uh, Whistling Vivaldi
3: Uh, I've heard of it no I have not though
2: okay it's by Claude Steele
3: Claude Steele I've heard the name before
2: and what he talks about is being a black man in Washington Mm D.C. Knowing that white people, particularly white women, might be afraid of him at night, and so what he would start doing would be to start whistling classical music. Right, I heard so about that. So that people wouldn't think that. So you think, oh, somebody whistling classical music can't be dangerous?
3: That's uh, that's crazy, right? I mean, like so, you like you uh, you have to literally like uh, sort of uh, demasculate yourself to. I mean, wow. So That's my crazy. so my
2: question is, looking at, and I think this is true in many, in corporations and businesses of what's considered normal behavior, but it really doesn't have anything to do with how the work is done, of a certain, I, I guess kind of like a, a certain kind of white norm. Right. And... So that means what? That you have to temper your conversation? Yes. So uh, I was just wondering how you've been impacted by that because you're black and you're really tall, too. Yeah, yeah.
3: You, you know, know, tall, somewhat broad shoulder. You know what I mean? Wow, that is such a great such a great question. I'm really enjoying this, this conversation. Um, so I remember there was a the past couple of days, uh, and, and, and I, I guess this kind of ties in, uh, my man Forrest Palmer, Facebook, really good dude just cra- incredibly out, outspoken fellow and he put something on Facebook about how he always runs into issues with with white with white security guards and someone had comment you know you know there, you know there was a pretty good thread about it and someone had comment is like you know it's funny um black security guards all the uh, all, all they have to be is just tall and male and 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 they'll be intimidating. There's, there's nothing else that they need to do, right? And so when I am in the workplace, um, so I have a essay coming out next 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 week. It's about code. It's about code switching. And just oh, you
2: got to be on my show and talk about that.
3: Uh, I would definitely like just basically like I just don't do it any anymore. Um, I think that uh, you as a black male, you have to know, I mean, like, you, you have to understand that you are going to come off as aggressive no matter what. I mean, it's just, you're like, you know, you can be having a disagreement and it's like, oh my God, he's super angry. Like if you don't come into the office smiling, oh my, oh my God, he's, he's, he's about to catch wreck. He's about to shoot this whole thing up. I mean, it's like just your, just your presence is intimidated, is intimidating. Like, you know, like, like, you know, you have to, you know, you have to cheese, you know, aka okay, smile, you know, you have to be, you have to have a super positive, um, out, uh, outlook. I, I mean, and especially the, uh, the fact that I am a dark complected black, black male. So the fact that I have short hair, you know, when I cut my hair bald, I mean, I'm just, you know, just super, you know, uh, masculine, like just uber aggressive person. So, um, you know, there have been, there's a, there, there's a woman, uh, she was on this, she's on this podcast called the context of white supremacy. I, I, I highly recommend it. And she was talking about how as a black woman, how she talks to black men about how they temper down their masculinity. And she was like, you know, it's a sad world that we, that we, that we, that we, that we live in that these guys feel that they have to do that. Me, I don't do that. Like, I'm just like you know they're gonna you, you know people are, are gonna deem me one way or the other so I'm just I'm not going to go that I'm not gonna go that route you know you dig so um but yeah no like that's uh that that's 100% real Sima
2: yeah well I'm, I'm looking at the time and I have so enjoyed talking to you, Laurent.
3: Oh, um hey, Sima, uh, before uh, uh before we bounce, can we talk about um Takashi? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah. Idiot? I thought
2: you said had to leave in 5 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, hey, no, I no, want to no. I am fascinated by what's going on. So, you're going to have to I guess you're going to stay a little bit longer than yeah. 5 minutes. Okay, so tell me a little bit about what you're thinking.
3: Uh, man, gosh. I
2: am fascinated by what's going on. I can't help it.
3: You know, um growing up like um you know being a gangster I, I mean you know you know we you know we grew up around uh around gang members it, it wasn't something that was like promoted pos- positively you know because i mean yeah. you know gangsters you know were scary dudes right like they were like oh they 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 were like oh snaps hey, yo like you know you know um he's a gangster yeah yo, like you know um he uh He may, you know, snap on us, you know, you know, you know, um, he shoots up stuff and it's like this, uh, the fact that this young man wants to be affiliated with negativity so bad and just the fact that now he is, um, he has been arrested by the federal government. For those who don't know, man, like the feds, like. Well, first
2: of all, just. You a little bit of background on Takashi?
3: Uh, yeah, so I mean, he's an incredibly whack MC from uh from from New York, I believe he's from Brooklyn. He's associated himself with a blood set out of uh, out of New York, and so the feds got him on like uh, him and his crew on on a RICO indictment, which is racketeering, influence corrupt, uh, corrupt, corrupted corruption org- organization, which is just pretty much like. You know you're kind of screwed, right? I mean, like the feds when the federal government comes to get you. And this is one thing that I've learned is that they 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 have a um, a, a um, conviction rate of about ninety to ninety five percent. And he's young,
2: and also he's twenty two. He
3: says he's a he's a, a twenty two year old uh, year old man. So
2: with rainbow hair,
3: with rainbow hair, and I'm, rainbow uh, teeth, rainbow teeth. I'm, I mean, he's. I mean, like he's. He's he's gonna have a hard time because of, because of, you know, he's you know, he's a frail guy. I've never yeah. I've never been to prison. I've I've been in jail and I've and I've been to county jail. And I've seen the pecking order, right? So, um, so, I mean, like, that's real. Like, from what I've been told, he's been threatened and or beat up. Now he's moved to a different environment where yeah. where he's in what they call a uh, sensitive knees yard, which is just pretty much where they where they put snitches, rats, and pedophiles. And it was something that um, OG Trady uh, from, from Eastside LBC said. He said, once you go to that yard, you um uh, you you can't come back to uh to general population right. because they're gonna beat you. So um I'm putting my money on him on on him snitching. Like, look, he's it's a minimum twenty five year sentence, right? So I don't know anybody who's going to do time for somebody for that long. I'm uh, sorry, twenty uh, tw- tw- five 25 twenty five years, twenty five to, to light. Life. Exactly. So what that means pretty much is, uh, is is when he serves his his twenty five. Uh, mind you, I don't know if he may get some. I mean, and mind you, he has not been convicted yet. But I don't know if he's gonna get some type of. I'm sorry, some type of you know uh, get uh, get get released in seven. Whatever, whatever. But let's say he doesn't. Right. Yeah. So he does the twenty five to like you know goes 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 to the parole board at twenty five years. They can then determine. All right, well. Yes, you have served your 25 years, but we still deem you as, as a threat to to society. So you're going to serve another two years. That's why they call it the 25 to life. So it's not a guarantee he's going to spend. It's, it's not a natural life sentence, but it's a really hard sentence. And so and with the feds, you got to. I think you got to serve at least 85 percent of your time. So, you you know, his his life is his, his life is over. I think this is a cautionary tale for Young kids to not want to embrace that kind of lifestyle because, you know, when I've spoken with people who have been locked up, Sima, there's, you know, there's a lot of folks who don't want to be gangsters, who don't want to be hard. And so for someone like him to embrace that and to, you know, just have like all this security running or, you know, running and running around with him, I mean, who wants to live that kind of life? So now, so, so, so now you're in a situation where, you know, you have to either, you know, fight the case. Mind you, the federal government has unlimited resources. Like his money will dry up. His money will run out. The federal government, their money will not run out. So sooner or later, someone's, someone's going to, um, going to cut a deal. And it's just, there's. There are no winners in this situation, right? I mean, you know, this young, you know, this young man is uh, potentially going to lose his lose 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 his life and prison. I, I, again, you know, I, I've been to jail. That is one of the worst experiences in my entire life, and I can imagine prison is worse. So, you know. Well, uh, what I
2: think is sad too. Um, you know, we, we could have we'll have another, we'll have another conversation about this because I know you said you got to go, but that. He was warned that he felt that this is what he needed to do. I mean, he was already making millions of dollars.
3: Making all kinds of money. Making
2: all kinds of money. Doing whatever he wanted. I mean, he was getting pass free passes for all kinds of stuff that he'd done in the past. Yep. And he'd been warned. Fat Joe warned him. Uh, he was on an interview with Charlemagne. Ibra, I mean, Ebro right. warned all these people that said, "Hey, man, you know, you got to tone it down if you want to really make it to the big leagues. You got." But his thing was, "Man, nobody could touch me. I could do whatever I want."
3: Right. Yeah. Um. When you so this is a thing like it's very having good people around you is very underrated, right? <clears throat> so you have to have people who are going to be honest with you and who are going to keep you humble. You know, uh you, you can't have people that are going to okay every move that, that you make because those are not your real friends. And so, you know, we see this playing out in real life. Like honestly, um Simma, I I I didn't think that he would get arrested this fast. I had a feeling he was either gonna be thrown in jail or he was gonna get hemmed up real bad maybe killed, whatever but you know i don't i don't wish this on wishes on any on, on anybody be- he's
2: not stupid he's smart yeah right he's be- smart but he acting
3: a fool because i mean at the end of the day like you know i don't like him i i don't respect him but you know he is a father and you know unfortunately too many young young boys grow up without 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 fathers and but he's got a kid Exactly yes uh, yes ma'am uh, he has a kid and so he's a oh, kid Lord. he's a kid having a having a kid yeah and he's so, really a kid and so it's like at the end of the day uh, you you just have to just look at it and say well I mean you know um, someone said play play stupid games you get stupid prizes yeah that's what me, that, really that's just what it is
2: well Lauren I yes, ma'am. am gonna. Uh, close and say TBC to be continued because I really want you on the show again. I really want to talk again. about code switching too. So, any last words that you would like to say?
3: Uh, just really enjoy being on this platform. Um, hello, Pam. Hi. <laughs> you know, Pam... Pam's kind of sick, but like she's you know, she's director awesome. Director here
2: at Radio she's, Mutiny, where we're recording. Go she's, ahead.
3: She's stupid dope, and uh, no, like Simma, like you know, all, you know, always a good time. I'm mean, like you know, and um, just yeah, I, I just can't wait to come, wait to come back. Y'all take care. Bye. And this
2: is Simma Lieberman, the inclusionist at Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. If you like what you've heard today. Please share this show with all your friends, colleagues, and anybody else that you've ever met, anybody who's interested in conversations about race. Um, if you like the show and want to hear more, please go to www.raceconvo, convo conversation.com. If you want to see us sustain the show because we run the show off of donations, please go to www.raceconvo.com and leave a message. And until next time, this is Sima Lieberman, the Inclusionist, signing off. Oh, and hit me up on Twitter at the Inclusionist. You
4: have to turn this submix up, otherwise nothing will happen. There
0: you go. Oh, cool. Good. Uh-huh.
4: You lose!
5: The Common Thread Collective is every Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. with legendary octogenarian hate ashbury activist Diamond Dave. With help from his friends, Dave talks news, wisdom, progressive activism, and spirituality. There's also open mic time for music, poetry, and stories. Comics gotta hold off till happy hour, though. Oh, and check out Flat Black Plastic with Scott Walker. Saturdays from noon to 2. The title says it all. Classic vinyl albums with no apologies, Great stuff! You can listen in live to these fine programs on MutinyRadio.fm, or download the podcast at your convenience on Apple iTunes. What a deal! Authentic, real San Francisco love—that's what keeps our ship afloat.
6: Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be? Like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh shit! From time to time, I've given it a thought of you. No, but you know all I did.
8: Oh mm-hmm.
4: flat black plastic
9: my name is breakfast and i'm running for chancellor of the united states of america for too long we have gone without a chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs... Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently. On my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor.
6: to fm from there you
9: can capture a halfwit not funny but comedy day will be a guarantee yet yeah, anyway bounce yeah. <speaking in Spanish>
4: Thank you for turning into an old episode of Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. Sima Lieberman can't be here today, but her show will be. We're going to play an old episode from uh, your listening to Everyday Conversations on Race with Everyday People with Sima Lieberman here on MutinyRadio.fm as she is looking for another song to play for you guys that was just from her guest who's going to be here and we're trying to negotiate the dead air we're not having dead air here there's always something to talk about on everyday conversations on race for everyday people with Sima Lieberman who loves hip hop so that's awesome and it's going to be educating me on things more than just Lauren Hill. So, <laughs> that was a joke for those who, have, in the mid '90s, the miseducation of Lauren Hill, A hip hop record.
2: Hi. Now we're going to be listening. Now we're going to be listening to Jada, Imani, and Kaylee J. and an NM- And our guest should be arriving momentarily. <laughs> you <laughs>
10: Show me what your vision is My sisters I've been building with Honoring the feminine Cause masculine we swimming in. a patriarch soon to fall Running till your paw paw Running down the dog Off guard with the paws up pause. Let nature do her thing If we keep interfering She may wipe us all away And everybody busy On it cranking the machine And wonder why so cyclically Repeated history What you think? I think it's time to get bank For ourselves Own it or throw it away Currently currency losing value quickly the land to you, then planting food, that's where the rich be How's that feel? How's that for real? When you can't kill, cause you need to rebuild When you can't stay still on your knees A refill of the handy my Pharmacy, a bleed drill For the trip, it is to fill the bliss of ignorance, decease uh, Burst of a queen, attack, conquer, misery uh, in from living in a den of ill-conceived Till the moment that we meet A reason that we breathe uh, When I compromise our sweet air to appease your blue vest Cause we got the right to be here So we take our truth back All on my own In a ghost town that I once told
2: home Hi everyone, this is Simba the Inclusionist With Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People And you've just been listening to my next guest, Jada Imani Hey! <laughs> hey Jada! So Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together from different backgrounds, different races, different colors, to have comfortable conversations on race, to be able to eliminate fear of difference and bring people together. If you have ever wanted to talk about race, but were afraid to do so because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing, or you're afraid of not being heard or being ignored, then this podcast is for you. So today, I want to introduce my next guest who I met recently at a benefit for uh, bringing hip-hop therapy to, to people who've been in trauma who've been traumatized her name is Jada Imani she's an MC and head of a homegrown project called Tattoo Vision from the Bay by the way of Saint oh you're from St. Louis huh mm-hmm <laughs> I thought you're from, oh, you're not, so you're not even from the Bay Area okay. I've been
11: here for 10 years I've been here since elementary school so okay then you know you're from
2: here <laughs> oh, I'm not from here I've been here for over 35 years I'm from the Bronx but I'm still from the Bronx okay? <laughs> so this year Jada released a concept video directed by Aroma called Drip available on Tattoo Vision YouTube and uh, I played it earlier don't miss it you gotta, you gotta, you gotta look it up and listen to it Jada began emceeing and curating ev- events at the age of 16. 16, y'all. When I was 16, never. Even, well, we didn't have these kind of events when I was 16. So since then, she's curated for Oakland Museum of California, Life Is Living Festival, Kaiser Permanente, Aspen Ideas Festival, and more. And we're gonna hear more about her. She also leads workshops for public schools and special bookings. Jada hopes to use performance and healing arts to connect disparate populations to promote health, critical thinking, and self-love. And that is what Everyday Conversations on Race is all about. Yay. (laughs) So, Jada, people can't see you. Oh, first of all, let me just say I'm so happy to have you I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. And thank you so much. Oh, okay. And let me just say this. I just started recording recently at Radio Meet Me this uh, is a cool spot it yeah it is a cool it is a really cool spot
11: yeah shout out old soul collective i've seen equipped and old soul collective here too yeah it's i good. just connected that it's
2: good yeah so this is so i'm i'm new with all the equip. you know you, you heard me record before i had my own equipment now this is much more sophisticated <laughs> so we may have a glitch or two but that's okay it's cool so jada would you just um describe yourself since people can't really see you
11: yeah not yet anyway yeah okay um well I'm both of my parents are black and white 50-50 so I'm a light skinned black girl Um, I have caramel skin uh kind of petite features kind of uh full lips but like a kind of a like pointy nose it's like a interesting combination between black and white features uh, I've, i present very hip-hop i think i kind of have like a street hip-hop look but i also like to mix it with the professional look so maybe you'll find me wearing some creased slacks with some adidas <laughs> you know what i mean but yeah uh, right now i'm wearing i have braids but sometimes i have very thick nappy hair so sometimes i'm wearing afro um yeah
2: yeah and they could, they could look and they could look you up which for sure people will do so today we have cross race conversation and we also have a cross generational conversation because as many of you know i am a baby boomer so Okay, we're we're fixing the microphone right now. Okay, cool. All right, Jada, it was so great to meet you and to hear and to hear you perform. I was so impressed. So I said, well, I got to have this woman on my podcast.
11: Thank you. You just like jumped out like a lion. I'm like, hey,
2: <laughs> I loved your enthusiasm and
11: passion for
9: this.
2: Well, you know, this podcast is like my life. This is this is my dream for so many years. Mm. Now. If I was probably much younger and it was today, I probably would be able to do my podcast and one day and say, hey, I want to get a podcast going on race. Okay, let's go. And it would be happening. But anyway, this is how it is and it is how it is. Or what they used to say when I was growing up is, what it is is what it is. And what it was is what it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Jada, tell me, uh, why do you think it's important for people to talk about race across race?
11: Why do I think so? Yeah. Um, I think it's important for people to talk about race all across the board. I'll start with that and then get to across race. Um, okay. I think that race is an important topic because we're all being influenced by it um, and uh, most of the time, it's in a way that we haven't yet examined. Like, we are not aware that we're being influenced, but we are by the way that people look. I really do think that there's been tons of exper- experiments done that show how, on a subconscious level, we're all... Um, you know, motivated, influenced by how we see people, the, the color of people's skin. And um, the more that we examine that, the more that we can um, have the power to control that and not let that control us. So we need to start thinking about race and being really honest about what we think about different races, because we all have different prejudices and assumptions. Um, and assumption, yeah, it's a lot better to examine them than leave them unexamined. In terms of talking like cross-race, that's a really interesting thing being black and white i'm on like i have the two like polarities that are in this country that's like the longest lasting war almost is like um black and white like you can't get like a more opposite than that you know so it's really interesting thinking about bringing these two sides together um although i also kind of subscribe to the belief that it would be good to start within your racial group and talk to your folks first and then once you're more healed and more clear within your community then begin to talk to other groups um And for myself being in the middle, like I'm in a very peculiar situation with the conversation about race. So hopefully I can be used by the greater force of good to um, yield like my interesting middle positioning to like help both sides, but I'm still figuring out my role there. But yeah, I think we all need to start talking about race and starting in our own homes and really starting um, to like, you know, really examine our own hidden beliefs.
2: Yeah, and I like what you said about starting in our own homes. Mm-hmm. I was at, I went to see a documentary which was amazing about the Oakland Interfaith Choir, mm-hmm. the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir. And you know, that's very multi multiracial, multi-racial, multi-everything, age, religion, you know, they got Christians, Catholics, Jews, Buddhists, all kinds of people in it. And a lot of people said, well, this is what America needs to look like. This is what it needs, you know, people hang together. I said, but you know what? This is what people's living rooms need to look like. Mm. I said because it's not enough. You know, you just like go to an event, which is cool. I mean, I, I, everybody should go to events that are from different cultures. But if you don't really get to talk to people, and then. You want to be able to talk to people like everyday conversation, but I also like what you said about people need to first start talking amongst themselves, get healed, and then start talking. Now, one of the problems I see sometimes, um, and I mean, this is just my own experience, my own observation, is a lot of times like I'll see a lot of white people, and this is not to disparage anybody, because I think anything anybody does to eliminate racism is important, but sometimes I'll see white people only talking to white people about Mm -hmm. race. they go, well, first we only have to talk, you know, I gotta talk to white people about race. But then what I don't see enough of is then branching out, And reaching out, Mm
7: -hmm.
2: and you got to be able to branch out and reach out, and know that maybe you're going to be uncomfortable. Maybe we talk about something. Emma Lieberman, the inclusionist here, with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together from different backgrounds to have a cross-race conversation about race. If you've ever wanted to talk about race, but were afraid of saying the wrong thing or afraid of not being heard, then listen in. I'm so excited to introduce my guests today, who are two very close friends of mine, Juan Lopez and Sid Real, and Juan and Sid and myself and three other people are co-authors of a book called The Diversity Calling, Building Community One Story at a Time. So Juan and then Sid, because people can't see you, I'm going to ask you to please share a little bit about yourself, who you are, a little bit about your background, okay? Okay. so let's
0: start with you Juan. Well as you said Juan Lopez. I grew up in Pittsburgh and Concord, California. I run a business called Amistad Associates. I have been involved in diversity, equity, inclusion, organizational change, uh, community organizing for a number of years. I I guess I was blessed to be called into this work in about 1982 or so with uh, Dr. Price Cobbs and it's a calling that's continued for me to discuss not only diversity but all the dimensions uh, that come about when we talk about diversity equity and inclusion
2: now we're all different in in different ways everybody who wrote the book so would you just share something about uh your cultural background and maybe your age or your generation you don't have to say exactly how old you are just your generation i have
0: no problem sharing my age i'm 63. (laughs) i identify as chicano i'm third generation Chicano in the Bay Area, family moved to Pittsburgh in 1928, Um, I think probably the descriptor of me would be, I'm about 5'8", I like to wear hats and (laughs) earrings, (laughs) and I'm I'm passionate about all of this different work, both not only diversity, but uh, Chicano activism and spirituality
2: okay now sid real tell us a little bit about you and then we're going to talk about then we're going to get to talking about ray so
12: go ahead okay i'm sedalia and i go by sid real i was born and raised in berkeley california I'm one of six children. My family originates from northeast Texas and came to the Berkeley area in around 1943, I believe. My parents came away to, I mean, they came this way to work in the shipyards during the war and the other fact about them, uh, we're an African-American family, and they were getting away from lynchings and other atrocities that were happening in Texas during the 40s.
2: So my question now is, uh, we could start with you, Sid, and then, and then go back to Juan. Why is race, why is talking, why is, why is race and why is talking about race important to you?
12: Talking about race is important to me because it's so much a part of my life. Growing up in Berkeley, which is known as a very uh, informal and uh, progressive town, also has had its issues with race, including redlining in neighborhoods and other situations where people of different races are kept apart, even though it's an international community. So I experienced some racism growing up, and it's always been a part of what's happening in my life And then as an adult and going into college, I had an interest in education and training. And of course, part of what you experienced there is what's happening with respect to how students of color are often treated differently, and in many cases are treated as less than compared to their white counterparts.
2: Well, Sid, would you uh, share one? You said you were exposed to racism when you were young, or you were victimized by racism when you were young could you give us an example because a lot of people really don't understand
12: what that means i I can think back to the third grade being in a classroom and our our classroom was multiracial. but it just so happened that a new white family came in who came from either mississippi or alabama they'd been a sharecropper family lived down the street from me and my third grade teacher had the audacity to pair me up with him for us to share a book. And um, he started calling me the N word and pushing me and saying that he wanted his own book and that sort of thing. And when I went home crying and told my mother about it, she told all of us, get whatever you can, get a broom, get a mop, get anything, you're gonna go down there and beat him up and make sure he doesn't do anything like that to you ever again. And so that was my rude awakening. Well, I find that very
2: interesting that even at that young age, here's this kid coming in to your school or to your class or to your seat and telling you what he wants and calling you names. Not unlike what we've seen here in the Bay Area, even like in Oakland where we've had people come in to neighborhoods that were primarily black, where we've had people come in and start telling black people that they're singing too loud in the church
12: singing too loud in the church having the nerve to barbecue on the lake all of these different examples of people in their white privilege not seeing that a person of color has just as much right to do and be anything that they want as anybody else so well l- let
2: me let me get to you one uh, tell us t- would you share a story with us about why race is important to you and why it's important that we talk about it
0: growing up race was not always talked about directly but there were many comments and inferences made that i was unclear about growing up um, from my uncles and my aunts and and my mother i think talked in ways that are very much uh, we would describe as internalized oppression and she would make statements about uh, interacting with whites or how whites viewed mexicans and she always talked about it in a less than way, and she always suggested, which was was a bit complicated because it was hard to read, that you had to be careful because you could be hurt, injured, or or any number of things because of the way you look. And I think it, it hit me the strongest uh, after President Kennedy was assassinated. And I remember coming home and walking into the front room and my father was home and he was watching the news and he was crying. And I was not accustomed to seeing my father cry. And, and he, he just kept saying, as he was looking at the the news, saying, what's gonna happen to Mexicans now? What's gonna happen to Mexicans now? And, and I was trying to make sense of this, but essentially what they were talking about was in fact, based on our uh, ethnicity, how we were being treated, how racism played out, how they experienced racism, and that it never seemed um, like you had the power, but you were always in a position where things or, or people could hurt you, but never talked about directly. Yeah.
2: Now, somebody might say, oh, well, you're sh- sharing stories of when you were younger, but we just had a black president, and are we post-racial? So does racism still exist? Do we still need to talk about race today?
12: I think we need to talk about it now more than ever, because it's really prevalent throughout our experience here in the United States and around the world. I think that uh, people are still being made to feel less than, not having the same opportunities, being questioned about their credibility and their competence in ways that hadn't been happening for a little bit of a while, although I think it was always just uh, a myth or a hope or a dream that we were post-racial because we had a black president. If anything, some of the ways in which people responded intensified in some conversations I've had with some of my white friends. They talked about knowing people who were white who woke up when Trump, when, not when Trump got elected, but when Obama got elected and said they couldn't get out of bed because now a black man was the president of the country.
2: Okay. Well, I, so so did they stay in bed I wonder did they stay in bed until Trump got elected? They got out of
0: bed maybe just to go vote?
12: No telling what they decided <laughs> to do.
0: Let me let me follow up on, on yeah, Sid's response. I think it's pretty clear that we have a racist president. I think the comments that he makes about different people, different ethnic groups, and different religious groups, he makes it really clear. Um, who the others are. And I think when we look at what has happened on the border with kidnapping, um, what's happened with such brutal policies, says to me that the racism has, bec- has become intensified. And you see examples of the protests. You, you hear about more white supremacist groups talking about um, strategizing on inflicting more racism. We see people in the community, in various communities, um, beating up on people of color. And we find a whole lot of mistrust in our communities of color towards police and other authorities. And much of that mistrust is based on how people view each other through the racial lens. So I think, I think now what we're talking about is even more intense. Um, and as Sid said, going from what people wanted to believe as being post-racial to now where we're seeing such obvious uh, expressions of racism is a real clear indication of the current state of where we're at.
2: Well, let's talk for a minute about DICE. Now, I'm part of DICE, with the two of you we have several other members would you uh talk for a minute a little about about dice and what dice is and about the book that people from dice wrote
12: yes uh, dice is uh, the acronym for diversity community exchange The nine authors of the book all met at a conference called Diversity 2000. It's actually a gathering of diversity and inclusion practitioners that comes together annually to commune with one another, learn from each other, and in some cases, collaborate and work together. And one of the things that we decided to do was come together to write a book about our own personal journeys and experiences as a way to talk about our work as a calling And the calling is how we can build community one story at a time. So by hearing about nine different ways people came to be in this work, what their life experiences are, gives people an idea of all of the ways that you can become a part of this diversity and inclusion community through the work that you're doing and doing it by sharing each other's histories, listening to one another, and finding ways that the work that we're doing can reach further out into other areas because we all work in different sort of um, sectors of the employment workforce. Now, some people would
2: say that they've never seeing people be able to talk about race. Some people would say, oh, I'd like to talk about race, but I can't, and they don't want to talk to me about it, and blah, 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 blah. In writing this book, would you say that it really encouraged the conversation about race? And if any, somebody was going to read this book, uh, that you think that it would encourage people to talk about race?
0: I think the book, as it said, is a it's about nine people: um, Sid and I, Doctor Jojo McManus, um, Tommy Smith, Santa Linda Marrero, well, you, yeah, Simone yeah, Lieberman, um, and Sonny Massey, and uh, Doctor Marvin Smith, and Nadia Yunus. We all wrote this book, and unfortunately, I would say, um, well, it's unfortunate because two members of our um, group have passed on. And I don't think it's an accident that that African American men, those are the two that passed on, um, the impact of racism in their lives and how they shared their stories uh, has had a factor in their uh, longevity. And, And they talked about that and how growing up and dealing with that impacted them and how they saw the world. So I don't think our group was reluctant to talk about race, but we did it in the context of our stories, and I believe all of us have a story, and central to that story is our experience, our identity, how we see ourselves in the world, and our race and our ethnicity is a part of that. And if you can't bring that into the conversation, then there's a central part of who you are in the world that's not being shared. And so we embraced that and felt like by us coming together and talking about our stories and what we experienced that we were encouraging others to get together, to share their stories, maybe to write a book, and to talk more and deeply about these kinds of things that have helped shape who we are in the world. Well, what lessons did you learn from each other? I learned uh, to listen more carefully about the experiences people had, which included racism and sexism, and how it impacted people in terms of their insight, their awareness, their confidence, uh, their capacity to be Um, human in the world. I I, I learned uh, how to appreciate being with people who share such intimate information about each other. And and these are sacred stories. And when you hear them and, and you approach it with that sense of sacredness, I think we learn more about each other and we learn how we can support each other more effectively.
2: How about you, Sid? What
0: what are some lessons you learned?
12: Well, I think first and foremost, the notion of hearing someone else's story requires that you're listening to what they're having to say to you, and it's a real lesson in something that a lot of people just don't know how to do, which is to suspend judgment about other people. So when you have a notion about who somebody is based on how they look or where they come from, and you don't know the story behind who they are as an individual, you might make some assumptions about them that are incorrect, And by hearing